Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. There is a breathless hush in the close tonight. Ten to make and the match to win. A bumping pitch and a blinding light. An hour to play and the last man in. And it's not for the sake of a ribboned coat or the selfish hope of a season's fame, but his captain's hand on his shoulder smote. Play up, play up, and play the game. Oh, Tom Holland. Oh, I, wiping, I could see your lip curling oh, in a metropolitan a sneer. Tear. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm wiping away a manly tear. So that is... Uh, Vitae Lampada by Sir Henry Newbolt, the great poem of empire, isn't it? Um, and the great po- one of the great poems of cricket, much it derided, is. I think, in the 21st century, but definitely a favourite poem in the Sandbrook household. <laughs> so glad to hear that, Dominic. Um, very much a favourite poem in the Holland household as well. I read it to my daughters every evening. <laughs> and do they laugh? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, they do. They, so we're, we're doing today's episode is on cricket, which is obviously something I've been wanting to do for ages and ages and ages uh, and the excuse for that is that um we this episode is going out midway through the first test match in the ashes series between england and australia and i'm aware that we will have lots of listeners who will have no idea what we're going on about who will have no yeah, interest in cricket, no knowledge that, of it for, at if all. you're an american that's just babble <laughs> yeah so so what i would just just by explanation the ashes is is the kind of the oldest international ke- ongoing contest uh, in cricket between England and Australia, and it's the kind of centerpiece of every English cricket fan's uh, obsession. Um, but I think also it's legitimate to look at cricket because I think, you know, just we did football, didn't we? Uh, we, did. And we did the Olympics. And I think sport is a fascinating topic for historical inquiry, whether you have any interest in it or not. It, it, it is absolutely, Tom. I mean, as you know, I'm not a great cricket fan. But cricket has been an important part of English national identity. And as that poem suggests, because that poem goes on, the later verses that have a scene in the Sudan, uh, a battle in the Sudan. So cricket is kind of woven into Britain's That's sense the one with of the Gatling its, jammed. Isn't uh, the it? Gatling's jammed and yes, uh, the, and the blood is spilling blood yes, seeping it's, into the, It's brilliant. <laughs> it's, and a voice pipes up, play up, play up and play the game. <laughs> and it's, the, it's presumably the same fellow who was playing cricket at Cheltenham. Yeah. I think it's set at Cheltenham. Anyway, it's Which sort of a from... reminder that also it's not just about England. Of course, it's also about empire. Oh, exactly. The exactly. And exactly. And the reason that, of course, people play cricket in India and Australia, as we will discover in this podcast, is because of the empire. But we'll, I feel that even with your mighty mind and your great knowledge of cricket, we need a guest. Am we I right? A, we, we do. And we need a top writer in on cricket i would say the top writer on cricket in england uh, and it is my friend and teammate in the authors the team that i play cricket with uh john hotton who writes this fantastic blog called the old batsman um he co-wrote a, a film called death of a gentleman which was an absolute evisceration of contemporary international cricket administrators absolutely brilliant <laughs> film um and he wrote a book very modestly titled the meaning of cricket <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> yeah so John knows the meaning of cricket. And John, you're currently, um, you're, you're collaborating on a, a book with Sir Geoffrey Boycott, who is a name I that will, will mean a great deal to people who have any interest in cricket. Um, may, will mean absolutely nothing to loads of our listeners. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's something we've got to remember right the way yeah. through. So, um, I mean, just, uh, we've got a question here from Judith Downey. Is it possible for a conversation about cricket to hold my interest for the time span of a podcast? And I mean, I, let, I hope so. I hope so. Because this is, cricket is a really, really fascinating mirror held up to all kinds of historical, cultural, social trends, isn't it? Uh, you would say so. Yes. I mean, it's a really, it's a question that gets asked quite often, I think, that question, why should I be interested in cricket? Because it has this kind of weirdly high bar to entry you know it's not there's a there's a great story um from martin amos when he was writing uh, london fields 
And he, 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 there's a character in it called Keith Talent, who's one of his sort of evil dwarf type characters. Plays darts. They're, yeah, plays dark. they're, all, what, they're all evil what, dwarves what, in my Exactly. Opinion. What, 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 he, he said he wanted, he knew the character had to, wanted to be involved in a sport. He had to play some sort of sport. And he first considered snooker. But then he chose darts. And the reason he chose darts was that uh, he said, you can tell anyone everything they need to know about darts in five minutes. Right. Which is kind of cruel, but it's really true. There's, you know, there's no hinterland in darts. There's no kind of post-match technical <laughs> analysis of a darts match. You know, you just chuck things at a board. Cricket is a sort of diametric opposite to that. You know, it's a game that exists in the imagination and through time. And if you don't have either of those things to give to it, I, I think this will be very difficult for you because it's a, it's archaic, it's arcane, it's hard to understand, and I've done a really good job in selling it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have. So, well, are there any yeah. listeners left? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. So, so on get there's a question from Thad Will. Question from the USA. Please explain, as you would for a child, how this game is played. We have no clue. Now, this is not a sports podcast, so we're not going to go into all that. But I would say no. at its most basic, actually, it's very simple. It's a bloke chucking a ball. And somebody, somebody tries to hit it. Trying to hit yeah. it, yes, yes. I mean, people I, I, you sort know, of... And that's, you know, it could be baseball. It could, I mean, in a way, it's kind of hockey and golf. I mean, they all kind of, yeah. you know, it's a stick and you try and hit a ball. Um, so so if we're looking at, at where cricket comes from, how it originates, how it emerges in England when it does, where does cricket begin? <laughs> and this is a much mythologised issue is it not it really is yes i i even saw a quote today from from uh john major who is a cricket obsessive former prime minister cricket historian himself cricket historian he wrote a very good book about about the the history of cricket um and and he said it's 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 a bit like searching for the holy grail you will never find it you will never find the origins of cricket um w wg the most cricket's most famous player uh he uh, he 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 claimed it, it originated from coits but what That's century it. do you think we're talking about? 16th, 17th, 18th? Well, Dominic. Oh, um, don't tell me sh- to go back even further. Well, well, sh- well. Shall, I, shall I tell you what the... Um, <laughs> what, He's what, been dying uh, what, to tell this story. What an Armenian professor, Dr. Abraham Terrian, thinks it came from and who the first person to play it was. No, don't. I'm going <laughs> go to tell on, you. Go on. Do you know yeah, who it was? There you are. Is it, is it a big name? It is. Big is it an Armenian G- king? No, it's, it's, it's is it Artavivas is the second? No, Dominic, it's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus played cricket. So he found fa- based he found, on what he found in the manuscript library of the Armenian Patriarchate of Jerusalem. Yeah, an eighth-century copy of a much earlier gospel, uh, which described the infancy of Jesus. And in this gospel, Jesus is described as playing something faintly similar to cricket i.e. people throwing balls and he's hitting it. And the catch is that Jesus, when he chases the ball, can run onto the sea. <laughs> Thereby. Well, <laughs> did, so, you, so, did we not discuss in a previous podcast about how Piltdown Man had yeah. a cricket bat or something like that, an ancient yeah. cricket bat? Yes. So that's the kind of classic example of the way in which people can kind of back project and create myths around it. I mean, I think, I think obviously Jesus didn't play cricket. Obviously this wasn't cricket. And, and there have been all kinds of attempts to, to kind of trace its origins beyond England. So there's the, the, the Surely people are now claiming it's invented in China or something, are they? Well, Bel- Belgium is very popular. Belgium? Cricket. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Tintin uh, was a great cricketer. Yeah. yeah, and there's, there's and um, an, an eighth century monk saw a, a sport with a bat and ball being played in Florence. Okay. Um, uh, there's a 12th century poet says that young men in England enjoy a, 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 a game called cricks. Um, and... Uh, there's a clerk in the reign of Edward I who complained that the Prince of Wales, so future Edward II, um, was passionate about a game called Creag. Okay. I, I th- they sound very implausible to me, to be honest. I mean, they're yeah, I think they are implausible. They? But yeah. John, were I mean, people so John, playing you- cricket? Are people playing cricket, let's say, in the Civil War? Do you think? Well, well again, yes. It's, yeah, yes, yes. You would say a, a recognisable version of what of what becomes cricket, yes. Um, but cricket, it, you know, it, it's one of those things. It has many roots, many origins. It had many forms. It wasn't really, and I suppose, until grace came along, 
And, you know, his his first season was in 1864, a very kind of significant time for cricket because it was the first season that uh, overarm bowling was legalised, for example. It was the it was the year the first Wisdom came out. It was, you know, so Wisdom is straight, the almanac that the comes almanac out and gives that, you all that, the details every year. That, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's a, one of cricket's great hinterlands is its statistical meaning and the yeah. way it's recorded. And, and so it, at that point, cricket was recognisably cricket. Before then, there'd been lots of different versions of cricket. So small-sided games, you know, one, uh, uh, you had famous games where you'd have a, a farmer and his dog playing against a, you know, a bloke up the road in the village and they'd be playing a version of cricket, you know, um, well, yeah. generally in those towns, one of them drops down dead because the dog <laughs> is a brilliant fielder and no one can score a run, you know, uh, so. There, there's there's lots of those kind of origin style myths, but the amazing thing I think, I, I suppose the thing to say is that it, the root of the game as we know it would probably come from two places, and I would say one of them is is the measurement of the of the pitch of the of the of the area of ground that it's played on, and the measure of a cricket pitch is twenty two yards. And when is that and, decided? And and that that comes from. Uh, Thomas Gunter's chain, which you may or may not have heard of, you know, it was a, me- a way of measuring land. He came up with a way of measuring land using a, a physical chain that was 66 links or 22 yards long. And when was that? And uh, that that was that was used as the the, the base of the length of the, uh, of, of the of the field. I think Gunter's chain. I'd have to look it up. I'd have to look it up. I'm not a historian who immediately recalls the dates. I will look it up for you now. But keep this is talking. brilliant. This is live. This um, is live action. Live, live, live research. <laughs> live live yeah, research. Yeah. <laughs> but but the amazing thing is, it has never changed. It's never changed from that. Everyone being able to lay down this this chain and say that's how long a, a, a pitch is. It's I've never looked it up. Changed. It's sixteen twenty. Sixteen twenty. So 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 the the amazing thing about twenty two yards is that it has contained the whole game ever since which is an astonishing thing. And anyone can play on it. You know, whether you're five foot three, a real little short ass, or whether you're six foot 10, you can compete equally on this distance. And unlike sort of golf courses or tennis balls or anything like that, it's never changed. So John, um, people who are playing it. So England is a very, very rural society at this point. The town's yeah. pretty small. I mean, they're expanding. So you obviously need quite a lot of space, but there is a lot of space. So basically it's a village game rather than a town game, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is again um, goes back to this Victorian shaping of the sport before, before Victorians made it what we know as cricket today. It would be you know tiny little games played in in hamlets and villages. It was a country sport for working class people. Uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't this thing that it would become. Um, and Puritans are actually complaining, aren't they, if people are playing it? Oh, yeah, days. I mean, there's there's a, there's a sort of around where I live, which is on the, the Surrey-Hampshire borders, there's a lot of this sort of origin stories of the game. There's a village called Recklesham, who I did play cricket for in my youth. And uh, there was a story that Recklesham, had, it's had something like five pubs within its uh, within its village boundaries and uh, was a, a, a kind of a, a place known for bad behavior on a Sunday. People would, <laughs> would go to the pubs on a Sunday and then play cricket. And cricket was this kind of, you know, almost a roguish, terrible thing to do. So at that point, uh, people are playing um, just on their one day off, basically, are they? I mean, there aren't uh, multi-day games. I mean, because they're no, working there aren't the fields and stuff. No, yeah, and, and also the game, although it had, its, it had its 22 yards, it couldn't go on for long enough. It was too difficult to play in those days. I mean, the reason cricket lasts for a long time now is that people have got very good at it. Um, before then, I mean, uh, you know, the games would be quite low scoring and quite quite quick. Because the pitches are kind of rough. Because... Pitches are, the pitches don't exist. They're just in the middle of a field. I mean, there used yeah, to be okay. uh, cricket starts. Most cricket or well, all cricket matches start now with the toss of a coin. So the, the two teams can decide who's going to bat and who's going to bowl. Um, very, very early, the winner of the toss got to decide where the pitch would be. That's good. So, That's great. So, yeah. So they would walk into a field and toss a co- and then the, the the winning captain could select where in the field he would put the pitch. And we've got a question um, from Nathan Hogg, which actually we should aren't we should ask. So Nathan Hogg says the name, the where did cricket get its name from? Because it is kind of a weird name. I mean, football makes sense, rugby obviously because of the school, but why cricket? Yes, I mean all these things like cricks and creag and coits was WG's suggestion. Yeah, it, it, who knows? I don't know. Uh, and that is Tom, part of the mystery of it, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I, and 
I mean, it, again, like football, football in a way, you know, all kinds of different versions of football were played through the Middle Ages, right the way up to the Victorian period. And you, we, we, you keep talking about the Victorian period, that this is where it gets regularised. This is where laws get introduced, where kind of standardisation happens. But before that, again, you're kind of saying that there are all these different versions of it that have been played in different villages, in different counties. Um I mean, is that right? That, that basically it's 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 in the south to begin with, but then also it starts to spread up to the up to Yorkshire and places like that. Well, here we go. I mean, we kind of tend to think of it as having begun in the south because that's where it's first recorded. I mean, there's a in deepest Hampshire, there's a village called Hambledon, which is considered to be the the cradle of the game. There's a there's a, a pitch there called Broad Halfpenny Down, and that's where the game's thought to have started. But the only reason people think it started there is because that was where it was first written down, really. So the, the, the son of the publican, obviously the pitch was opposite a pub. There's a great tie always between cricket and alcohol, certainly in, uh, in England, uh, cricket and drinking, uh, both amongst the players and the spectators. Um, but so the, the son of the publican, um, John Nyron, began to write down uh, the stories of the cricketers he'd seen in his youth. He called it Cricketers of Our Time. And those were the first cricketers we really know about and the first matches we really know about in any depth. And so people tend to think, well, that's where the game started. Whether there was another village in Yorkshire where exactly the same thing was happening, but yeah. no one wrote it down, who knows? And, and what's interesting then is that you've got this kind of rural game and it's, it's, it's played among people who are not necessarily upper class at all. I mean, often labourers, the opposite of it. But at the same time, certainly in the 18th century, you're starting to get very, very posh people. I mean, including even the Prince of Wales starting to become obsessed by it too. And we've, we've got a question from um, from Dan Jackson, friend of the show, Northumbrian. <laughs> Would you agree that cricket is arguably the least class-based sport in England, played and watched by everyone, certainly in comparison to football and rugby? I mean, I, I, I guess maybe that's changed with football now. But that sense that, that cricket is a sport that is played both by agricultural labourers and by dukes, it is, does make it kind of distinctive, doesn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. I mean, and I think it goes back to this notion of time again. You know, there were huge chunks of time that the, the aristocracy and the, uh, the wealthy, the wealthier men had to fill in. I mean, what did you do all day? <laughs> if you were rich, what did you do all day? You had to do something. <laughs> um, so cricket kind of becomes tied up with other things like hunting and, uh, you know, uh, boxing. There was a you know, great rage for box, for the gentleman to be able to box at one point, you know, fighting in the streets, all of these, it becomes tied up with these other leisure pursuits as something to do. Horse racing, you know, you had to fill your time. So you had these kind of patrons emerging who would go and, and literally patronise the uh, the good cricketers in their area. Give and them also money it to lends play itself to gambling, doesn't it? It lends well, very, itself to gambling. Very much, yeah. And it lends, lends itself to a day out. I mean, it's a relatively slow moving sport. You can stand there and have a chat with people and turn around and not much has happened in the meantime. You probably haven't missed anything. Um, and it, it just became a kind of very, very nice day out, really, a summer's day out. So... At what point, if you had to, I, I know you, you the, the records are very hazy and it's all kind of in the murk of time. But if you had to pinpoint a time when people went to watch cricket, oh, that's a just, good, yeah. When when are people going in in sort of decent numbers? I.e., not just to watch their family member play, but to to watch a game. Would well, you say? I mean, it, it, cricket cricket has a great uh, has always had a uh, an a long ongoing relationship with novelty. It loves novelty. It loves to reinvent itself. Although it has this Im sort of pastoral image as something unchanging. In fact, it's a game that is constantly reinventing itself. So as, as the sort of, um, I suppose the, uh, you'd say the Regency era, the fancy, you yeah. know, as they start to go to games to fill in time, they want these kind of novelty events to happen that they can watch. So you had games, certainly in the Regency era, uh, after the Napoleonic Wars, you had games um, where you'd have a team of men with one arm against a team of <laughs> men with one leg. That sounds because brilliant. How could the men with uh, one leg run? I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's all part of the fun of it. That were, and it was, it was called something like a grotesque spectacle or something. <laughs> but, but they were all veterans of it. They were mostly guys living in, um, you know, in, uh, uh, I suppose, 
arms, old accommodation given to ex-Navy personnel. aptly named arms houses. Arms (laughs) houses, yeah. There's a really famous scorecard, and I've always wondered where, uh, where, whether this was where they, they got the name from, where the, the number 11 for the one-legged team was called Baldrick. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, yeah seriously and he was run out twice for noughts <laughs> so, so and, and they were given like uh, it, the game lasted for two days too uh, and uh, they were overnight they were fed on ale and meat and all of this tremendously <laughs> uh, uh, impossible to digest stuff <laughs> and, and it just became so and then you had games like married versus single you had games with like uh, uh, 13 stone versus oh you know <laughs> under 13 stone in a way in a way that is what they do that in a way that you know with the reinvention of cricket with new formats like 2020 cricket and those sort of things that's the modern equivalent of what that was well so there's a really interesting question here from david davis uh who says i often hear complaints that modern cricket is dumbing down the great games tradition so talking about 2020 or whatever however i do feel the 2020 the ipl gambling money etc is much closer to its georgian roots yeah. in the public school victorian yes. morality of early 20th century cricket do you agree so that that's focusing in on what is quite an interesting pivot in the history of cricket that you you, you do have this kind of buccaneering regency sense where they're all playing one-legged gambling <laughs> on it and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. and getting drunk and, and and all kinds of things and then with the victorian period that's where you start to get ideas of it not being cricket um yes yes am i, I mean, simplifying no i don't think so i think i think the victorians were the ones who imposed this moral sense on the game so before the victorians did that it was a it was a game for rogues there was a lot of cheating there was a lot of gambling there was a lot of match fixing um and 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 so the victorians came along and i suppose with the you know their general culture thought well we can't have that actually here's a game that can be a vision of england and as the Victorians do that, you get this great star emerging, the first famous cricketer, really, in W.G. Grace. And he comes along because... So he's a huge man with a big beard. It, That's yeah, a beard. big man with a big beard. If, and and if, maybe if, even even people who know nothing about cricket perhaps no, may have a sense of him. Well, this is the interesting thing, is that he is probably still today more famous than some of the people in the England cricket team. And this yeah. is this is the resonance. His image has kind of carried with it down the years. Well, John, you know? you say, he, I mean, you say um, that he's the most famous cricketer. I mean, in a way, he's the most famous person in Victorian England. For, I mean, in, he's, in the first, he's, the first, he's the first. He's the first great celebrity. Isn't he, he is. He is. Yeah. He's the first celebrity, and of course, it goes to his head and to his gut. I mean, he comes from uh, comes from a, a small village called Downend outside of Bristol. Um, he's got a very high pitched, squeaky voice. He's like a Neanderthal, like yes. Neanderthal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's thought of as, as you know, a, a slight figure of fun. He's, he, they look down the, their noses at him. Um, but he is a genius at this game. He's a huge, I mean, he's a huge man. First of all, he's sort of six foot three. He gets bigger and bigger as he eats and drinks more and more and becomes more of a star. But you, you compare this to Victorian England when everyone was a short ass, you know, it would be like us looking at Tyson Fury, you know, the yeah. enormous man with a big beard. If you, even if you see pictures of him when he was 18 and made his sort of fabulous breakthrough season in 1866, when he plays the innings that, that de- comes to define modern cricket, the innings that, uh, you know, people often say, if you could see one innings from cricket history, one moment, what would it be? Well, it would be WG as an 18-year-old at the Oval scoring 224 against Surrey for all England, because this innings changes everything. And he does it over and two days. why does day- it change everything? Well, he does it over two days. And what until WG came along, the, the contest between bat and ball, which is the, the the pivotal contest in cricket, was always won by the ball. There was a, a WG himself said, days. "Yeah, the, WG himself said, um, uh, it, it was it was thought that if the bowling was good, uh, all, the batsman could do nothing about it. All he could do would keep it out." Well, I resolved to challenge that that theory and he begins with his great size and strength whacking the ball in the air over the fielders it becomes spectacular and amazing and what he does really is he imagines a future he changes the mindset of the game and this is how the game always changes with an act of imagination and he's 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 really the first one to do that and the great thing is is in, this is how much of an athlete he was before he became 
big, you know, the, the, the big, the big <laughs> a man of size. In, in between this two-day innings, in the evening, he goes from the Oval to Crystal Palace and wins the 440-yard <laughs> hurdles. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that his, is so his, brilliant. In his <laughs> pink racing knickerbockers. That's such so, Victorian behaviour. <laughs> yeah. So he was a bit of a lad, you know, but, but obviously a star. And as he becomes bigger and bigger, and, and you know, obviously – the, the railways come along, the newspapers come along, and all of a sudden he can go around the country. He can play cricket all around the country. People can see him. When he gets to Australia for the first time, the, the docks at Melbourne are aligned with people because they just want to see him. And he and gets sponsored, doesn't he? He gets sponsored by Coleman's Mustard. He, he did get sponsored. So at that point, you have, you have record-keeping of games yeah yeah so people know what his score is you have mm. crowds going and do you have an organized national competition of any yeah that, i mean that is emerging at exactly the same time um there isn't international cricket when wg comes along but there is county cricket now uh for those listening outside england uh, yeah i suppose you define as county i mean tom will give you chapter and verse on what is a county and what is a region and yeah, uh, all of that stuff because he's he yearns, yearns for the return of Wessex, but essentially, like think of it like a state or a, you know your local yeah. state. Now, um, why now that why that's a puzzle to me because football and rugby, I mean, mm. they have clubs in big towns. So you know, in football, it's obviously Manchester United you know, or, or Wolves or whoever. In Wolves. rugby. Well, there's a <laughs> shut up. Wolverhampton Wanderers is one of the founder members of the Football yeah. League. I'll have you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, it's the one that comes to everyone's mind. Of course it is. Of course it is because it's got <laughs> such a iconic history and a emblematic badge. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, rugby, you know, Bristol, Bath. I mean, they're all big. They're, okay, their strength is in the West Country, but it's in towns or in Leicester or Gloucester or whatever. Why is cricket county? Why isn't it cities? Yeah, well, I think I think just because it's slightly earlier. It's very slightly earlier. Uh, and and counties were big enough to to generate eleven or twenty two or however many men you needed to form a team. Right. Um, it, I, so I, I mean, I would guess that's the reason. And because of the rural roots, I suppose. Yeah, because the, maybe it's... the rural roots as well. Yeah, but it just happened slightly earlier than those. Yeah. You know, those football clubs you're talking about were, yeah, at, what 1870, 1880. Yeah, it, yeah. Some of the top count- clubs, I think, yeah. were 1877. Tom. It, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the counties in cricket are are, are very slightly, you know, twenty. Or thirty years earlier than that. So, John, you um, you mentioned Australia, and in after the break, we should look at the kind of the, the spread of cricket around the world. But just one last thing on Victorian cricket and its growth. Um, the phrase "it's not cricket," the the kind of sentiments that were expressed in the, the poem with which Dominic um, opened very this rousing. episode. Mm. Um, the the idea that 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 playing cricket is somehow morally improving. That it's about sportsmanship. Yeah. That it's about uh, uh, fair that play. It, that it has a moral dimension. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, I, I, that is not a feature of the game. When you've got all these kind of snuff-taking rakes who are gambling and no. paying one-legged men, to, <laughs> no. and so on. Where, where, where does where does this idea that you know you play up and play the game come? Well, from? I, yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been really fascinated by that because I think there is something in the seeds of the game that give you an idea of fairness. Um, It's a contest between batsman and bowler. And the contest is somehow due to the dynamics of the the game, the way it's scored, the length of the pitch and the the equality between bat and ball. Yeah. There's somehow a kind of fairness within the sport. Whereas if you do your best and you're good at it, you will succeed. But isn't there a counter argument to that, that you mentioned W.G. Grace, and he's the titanic figure in the history of cricket, really. But he's a notoriously bad sport. I mean, notorious for his gamesmanship. Well, he's, yes, he's, yes, he's sort of, you know, there's the, the famous uh, story about, um, you know, the guy, the uh, Charles Courtright, the fast bowler, knocking two of W.G.'s three stumps out of the ground and uh, and saying to him, oh, uh, going already, doctor, there's still one stump. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he W.G. was, yes. You would say that they've come to watch me bat, not you umpire, all that sort of thing. Um, but still, I think, uh, how would I say it? He, you know, he's still governed by the framework of the game. He can't get away with everything. The, these things we're talking about, they might be close decisions. They might be, you know, I could have gone this way. It could have gone that way. So he exploited his fame and the, and the laws in some way. But at the heart of the game is this contest that you might say, 
gives it its fairness and its kind of moral quality if there is one. See, if I was being sceptical, Tom, and you mm. won't like this, um, no, I would say then. that as cricket is eclipsed eventually or always rivaled by football, particularly for the hearts and minds of kind of the industrial yes. urban working yes. classes, then it becomes very important for crickets, sort of the Tom Holland figures, to, to sanctify it as this pastoral, idealised yeah. repository. Yeah, Tom Holland of, figures. I don't yeah. sanctify it at all. You do. You think it's? You probably think it's sacral. I mean, you haven't mentioned Christianity <laughs> yet, but it's I surely only moments away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, no, I, I think Tom should mention Christianity because I think that whole notion of cr- cricket as a, a, you know, as an upstanding moral force does come from the sort of muscular Christianity idea of health and vigor and fair yeah. play. Yeah, I think it very much comes yeah, from but, that. But but I mean, cricket is an industrial sport as well as a a rural sport. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole key to it. It's played it, you know in Leeds and in Manchester <laughs> and in Birmingham, just as it's played in Somerset right. and Kent. Not just not as well. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, <laughs> no, the, I, I always <laughs> remember the the um, kind of blinding realization of why was it that football and cricket were played, you know, in industrial cities, whereas rugby wasn't. And the answer is, is that you can play cr- cricket and football on cobbled hard stones. Yeah. You know, whereas rugby, you can't because you've got to kind of throw yourself on the ground. On the ground. So it's yeah. going to be incredibly painful. Um, <laughs> so so I, I think that, I, I mean, we've got on this question of, of how um, cricket kind of bridges divides. Another question from just Luke. I don't, I don't know whether Luke um, is cricket the ultimate metaphor for and symbol of British society, cutting across the class and north-south divides the individual versus collective? And I think there is something to that. Um, and it, it, it was definitely something that the British in the 19th century felt very, very kind of sentimental about. Uh, and Dominic, you will like this. They contrasted it with France. So what did they the, play? Pétonque. Well, on the, so, so on the day the Bastille was stormed, yeah. the Earl of Winchelsea, Who's a key figure? He's 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 kind of behind the drawing up of the laws of cricket, uh, the the the, the, um, the sponsorship of the Maribyrn Cricket Club, which mm-hmm. is the MCC ends up buying uh, Lord's Cricket Ground, the most famous uh, cricket ground in the world in London. He was playing in the Hampshire Kent match at Hambledon, which John mentioned, and he gets clean bowled by an agricultural labourer called William Bullen. This is on the day, the 14th of July or whatever. On the 14th of July, yeah. 1789. Yeah. And G.M. Trevelyan, the great historian, writing about this, observed, if the French nobility had been capable of playing cricket with their peasants, their chateau would never have been burnt. Rule rule Britannia. (laughs) That's a perfect place to take a break, isn't it? I think it is. And I think when we come back, we should look at... um, the ambivalent role that cricket has played in imperial British imperial domination of the world and the way in which the uh, the colonised have used cricket to fight back. So we'll see you after the break. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. 
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. Now, some of you may have heard a very exciting development, which is that we have been having so much fun doing this show that we have launched our very own community, The Rest is History Club. You're very excited about this, aren't you, Tom? I'm very excited about it. And what do you get? You get, well, I'll tell you one thing you get. You get every episode with no ads, including all the old episodes. So if you've, yeah, if you already signed up to it, you won't be listening to this. The days of the Guardian Saturday supplement of Beer 52, of all our tremendous sponsors, You'd be saying goodbye to all that, which is a bit of a wrench, I know. However, but, yes. on top of that, you would also get an extra episode every week. It will go out on the uh, on the Tuesday, uh, and we'll be looking back at your comments, your thoughts, your feedback on the uh, the previous week's episodes. Very, very much listener led. Very listener led. Yeah, um, and we'll be doing one live streamed episode every month on YouTube, and so we've got one coming up um, uh, next Wednesday on the fifteenth of December. That's going to be on the sixties. Yep, that's uh, very get- exciting membership of an exclusive chat room community which hilariously is called discord um i don't think we chose that name did we? no we didn't we didn't but you can we'll be putting up reading lists uh chatting about the episodes laughing at tom's impersonations or expressing admiration for them um so lots lots of stuff um and it's very simple to set up uh even even we managed to do it now now how much how unfortunately money has to change hands to join it's the way with clubs though isn't it i mean you always have to pay to join a club mm-hmm. so Membership. how much do people have to pay to join this fantastic club a mere six british pounds per that's month nothing. yeah it's absolutely nothing I mean, what an ideal christmas gift that would be rest is history that's the what you need to know rest is history however just to reiterate if you don't want to be bothered with any of that you can carry on listening and you'll get the two episodes as per normal completely for free every week yeah but you should join the club anyway i mean you really should (laughs) (laughs) and now back to the cricket welcome back to the rest is history uh we are talking about the history of cricket so we've done rakish origins we have talked a little bit about the victorians and now we're going to look abroad now here is an amazing fact john is this uh, is this true i read this online i i am not ashamed to admit i'm reading it on wikipedia it says the first ever international cricket match took place between the united states and canada in 1844 can that possibly be true it, it is more than true it's it's an established fact of the game yes i mean it's very odd that cricket did have this very brief uh, hold and grip in 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 the United States and Canada, um, mostly on the eastern seaboard, as you'd expect, and as we'll come to discuss, because the Brits got over there and started playing it, and somehow, and I think no one's really worked out how and why it loses that grip and in its place comes. Well, basically. John, you know, um, when the Pilgrim Fathers go uh, and they have their first Christmas, um, and there are loads of people who've, who've gone with them who aren't pilgrims, and they all go out to have a. a a prayer, prayer on Christmas Day, and they come back and they find that they're playing cricket. The, these other people are playing cricket, so they confiscate their bat and ball, which I think yeah. is where America yeah. went wrong. Right wrong. The beginning. That could yeah. be. So the I've, heard it, I've heard moment. it. I've heard it. I've heard it said that it's partly to do with um, Union soldiers in the American Civil War found it easier to play baseball than than cricket. Uh, just to play an impromptu game is simpler, and also that it's. When after the American Civil War, that America has a much stronger sense of itself as an alternative to Europe rather than a sort of a descendant of it. So they need their own game as part of a kind of American nationalism yeah. and stuff. I don't, yeah, yeah, that sounds a bit kind of retrofitted, but uh, okay. It, but I mean, it could be, couldn't it? It could be. It really could be. I mean, I think I think the interesting thing is that in a lot of places that don't have cricket, there is a game like cricket that has a sense of time and um, a sort of. An, an internal relationship, a game that you can have an internal, ongoing, long relationship with. Like baseball, like, basically. Like baseball. I mean, baseball you could hold up as, but but I, I think, you know, a lot of places do have equivalents. But it's it's interesting. So, so um, America obviously rejects Britain. That's the whole point of it. Uh, and, and so in a sense, as cricket becomes more and more identified with Britain, so it becomes more and more important, I guess, to America to have a, a sport that is not cricket. 
the, the contrast with that is Australia, which is likewise a settler society, but where cricket really does put down massive roots very quickly. Um, we, ha- I mean, to the degree that, so we have a question here from, um, uh, and, and I think that this touches on all kinds of fascinating issues from Dan Norcross, who is, of course, a commentator on Test Match Special. Um, would love you to dwell a little on the Australian Aboriginals tour of England in 1868. The team held its own and was largely well received across the country, apart from York, <laughs> but returned to Australia penniless and barely any of them played cricket seriously again. So in 1868, a team of um, Indigenous Australians are coming over and playing cricket. I mean, that seems amazing. It does. I mean, I think, it, again, it, you know, we mentioned novelty earlier, and I think that, that that's a factor here. You know, this this idea that cricket loves that kind of thing. Um, it's something to come and stare at. It's something that will fill up a day. Um, the I think the really, really interesting thing, and you are probably far better qualified to talk about this than I am, about this tour is that um, the origin of the species, Darwin, had almost, had just come out. It had been out for, what I don't know, 10 years or something like that, maybe less than that. Uh, when this team arrive and there's this kind of horrible now again talking retrospectively sort of goggle-eyed looking at them by the victor you know and discreet you know horrible what we would think of now horrible descriptions in the paper of how they looked their hair their beards uh, you know um so it, it, yeah it, you imagine being one of that team and how that must have been well i mean the stuff i'm reading here about it extraordinary so at the end of the games they would put on an exhibition of boomerang and spear throwing. Yeah. <laughs> and a man called one of them, who was called Dicker Dick, would hold a narrow shield and, and people would pay to throw cricket balls at him. Yeah. I mean, that would be, that's <laughs> it, hard to it, see it, that being reintroduced yeah. into the game. No, that's not. See, but again, this is the, yeah, it's, it's like, it's these rich guys trying to fill up their time, isn't it? You know, let's go down to Lords. Let's throw, see that you see, yeah, and after the game, we'll, we'll see you can, you can chuck the ball hardest at him. But 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 what's I mean what's also what's fascinating about that though is that it's 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 presumably well before Australian national teams are coming over and playing England. Yeah, well, it's, and you know, and we're doing this against the backdrop of of the uh, the Ashes that have just started in Australia. But what what, what is what it what is it about? So so tell us how the Ashes come into being, John, and and well, why it is that England Australia come to to have this kind of epic quality, this titanic well, I mean, quality. I, I think purely and simply it's because you could get there. You know, all of a sudden there was a, a you know by by boat, there was a method of going somewhere. And this is why you know the, the whole of cricket exists on these sort of Victorian timescales. You know, it, it goes on for several days because people had nothing to do and they wanted to go and watch something that lasted for a while tours cricket tours and the way international cricket is structured is that one country goes off to play a series of matches against another country and they will stay in that country for several months while they do it usually i mean some some tours are slow but the early tours would last for six months so cricket's a summer game you have to go somewhere where it's hot to play it so in the english winter where do you go you have to go to the southern hemisphere essentially so they set sail to australia um the notion of internationals comes along again. It's something, you know, WG scores England's first Test Match 100. Um, it arrives again a little too late for. And for what his is it that prime, makes a Test Match a Test but, Match? But, well, I mean, again, what makes a Test Match a Test Match? It's it's played um, slightly longer. So, so than, for, for people who know, Test Matches are, are international inter- matches. Test Matches are international yeah. matches and they last, and people who don't really come from non-cricket playing countries because they last for five days people this is <laughs> can end in a draw right and not only do they last for five days there are usually five of them in a series yeah so, and they break for tea yeah, i mean that will be the thing that will do. really astound and <laughs> overseas lunch, listeners yeah, yeah yeah so yes where does this you know this 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 again i, I mean i guess yeah, it, it's always famously said it's called test cricket because it is a test you know it's the ultimate test of 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 um, time and skill endurance. and endurance and you know you're in a foreign it's really difficult to yeah. uh, i mean you know, if you've played test cricket really <laughs> very <laughs> difficult to get a test cricketer out oh shut let up alone two. Shut let alone two <laughs> but i don't think they were in their prime when you got them out were they no. they were test cricketers they were test cricketers yeah. dominic former, i got pulled out test two test cricketers i'm just putting that john in. does he but mention dominic, this a lot when you're but, playing but, in your team yeah, yeah i do yeah so let's not talk about it the the notion of, <laughs> of international cricket should we go back to that Yes. The, the, the first, 
England versus Australia becomes the first real contest. They're the first two test match playing nations. They can test the first test match. The reason the Ashes becomes famous is, is that Australia win this encounter ter terribly free. And it's so destructive to the English vision of themselves. A couple of likely lads take a, 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 a piss-taking advert in, in, the, in the Times newspaper saying that, um, the, yeah, this, this defeat is so terrible that they've burned the, uh, they've burned the remains of English cricket. Um, and put them in in this little urn, and and that becomes known as the ashes. The ashes. Oh, and what is in the urn? Well, I mean, I've seen it. What's in it? Supposedly, supposedly, it, supposedly. <laughs> I mean, who knows? It's two bales. It, it's, isn't it's it? the bales from the game. So, the, in in cricket, you have the stumps, which are what the bowlers aim at, and there are three of those. And across the top of the stumps, are a couple of smaller bits of wood, which are called the bales, and they have to be knocked off in order for a, a dismissal to occur. And this is so, eighteen eighty two, isn't it? That's so the, this is the, this is the first the first Ashes Test match, yeah. And then uh, the contest is enjoined. The, this it catches the imagination. Obviously, and I think Australia winning was a big part of that. I think I think it was important that Australia won yeah. that because immediately, well, the English said, well, well, you know, we can't have that. We've got to win it back. So the contest had had England sort of won the first thirty Ashes Test matches incredibly easily. I, I think, yeah, it may, who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have become the thing it became. So, so, so John, just sticking just sticking to the Ashes and the relationship between England and Australia, you could argue that the the, the Ashes kind of channel um, both an opportunity for Australians to emphasize, you know, to demonstrate that they've emancipated themselves from the mother country, from the kind of, you know, the colonialism that, that with which Australia had been founded. But at the same time, because cricket is so distinctively English, it, it enables them to maintain ties as well. I mean, would you say that that's yeah, I mean, part it, it, of the role that cricket has played in Anglo-Australian relations? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that I, I think it's that notion of um, you know, I mean, in, in its simplest form, beating you at your own game. You know, uh, that it, and that has played out not just in England versus Australia. The um, really the cricket, the the history of international cricket is the history of empire. The, well, hold know, on, Dominic, uh, John. Before we come, before we come, just specifically well, on Australia. So, so the the most famous. Indeed, most notorious Ashes series yes. uh, becomes known as the Bodyline series. Yes, and that's in the 1930s. It's a it's tremendous name, isn't it? See, I think whoever came up with that 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 made it historic as well. Bodyline. Okay, so just so just tell us about the Bodyline series and why that was. Uh, I mean, it was much more than a sporting story. It was a, a huge crisis yeah. in Anglo-Australian relations, and in fact, between in the entire fabric of the British Empire. Yeah, well, well, after after you know, Grace. Grace became the, this, this, this defining cricketer. And after Grace, there were lots of really good cricketers. But uh, in the 1920s and 30s comes along a player called Donald Bradman, who probably even to this day remains sport's greatest outlier. By the statistics, Bradman is... Of oh, every sport. Uh, of every sport. Uh, by the statistics, Bradman is between 30 and 40% better than anyone else who's ever played cricket. Better than WG Grace. Uh, yeah, yeah. By the statistics. So if we use statistics as a measure, there isn't another sport in which one person has been that far ahead of the field for, for as long as Bradman was ahead of the field and has remained ahead of the field. So Bradman comes along, <clears throat> immediately begins scoring runs at a, at a rate that no one can uh, has ever seen before. And uh, England's captain, uh, Douglas Jardine at times, sort of, um, as, as, as people know, I think he was actually Scottish, but uh, he, he comes to represent England and empire and all of those things because he's the sort of guy you could imagine, you know, plays the national anthem before he goes to bed, you know, or he's, he's that Nothing kind of guy. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, I mean, as we all do, as we all do, obviously. <laughs> um, but he, so he goes out to Australia with the, with the, the, um, aim of, of, of winning back the ashes from Bradman's Australia. And he comes up with a plan to combat Bradman. And that plan is essentially for the, his bowlers to bowl it as fast as they can at Bradman's head and, and body. <laughs> and, and, and the cricket ball is, you know, again, if you don't know anything about cricket, the cricket ball is made of leather. It has a cork interior. It's, hard, it's rock hard. It's very hard. It's it is rock hard. hard. Especially, it is. A cricket ball especially is when hard. it's new. It's rock hard. And cricket's a dangerous game. People are, you know, the history of cricket is littered with people who've died playing it. 
partly because the ball was very hard and is propelled towards you at 90 miles an hour from 22 yards away. You don't have a lot of time to get out of the way. And this this tactic of of um, of Jardines, slightly more sophisticated than I've described, but essentially it was built around, you know, uh, physical danger and fear. And and that goes back to this Victorian moral sense of the game. Is that a legitimate tactic? Is it with cricket? which is it cricket? Yeah. Is it you so know, they call it leg theory, don't they? they Jardine, Jardine called it. Jardine, Jardine didn't like it being called. You know, the, the term body line that's come to represent it. That certainly wasn't his term. His term was leg theory. Again, without giving you a description of how cricket's played, uh, I can't tell you why that makes sense. But it does make sense as a description of what it is. Um, but essentially, it causes an international incident. It, at government level, body line becomes a problem because by now you've got uh, newsreel footage and people can see this happening that weren't at the grounds. And they yeah, see the kind of ball yeah, thudding yeah, into the batsman yeah, and the batsman yeah, falling and, down. The batsman and, yeah. falling to the ground. And, and Bradman, who, let, let, if, if we give you a, a kind of really simple overview of what he was doing, Bradman, every time he went into bat, would score around 100 runs which is a lot of runs in cricket. Um, well, Jardine's tactic essentially halves that. So Bradman scores kind of around just 50 runs per innings. Just excellent captaincy yeah. in well, my yeah. mind. So, yeah. <laughs> so really, he just brings Bradman back to everyone's level. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. what, he but, do, that's what why, his tactic did. Why is it such an international incident? I mean, is it genuine? Is this genuinely something that governments are kind of concerned yeah. about? Oh, fa- famously, questions were asked in Parliament because it, 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 you know, at this point, cricket is representing something beyond cricket. But isn't it? It's also it's also because uh, it, it's in the thirties. Um, Britain is feeling nervous about the future of the empire. It's under geopolitical threat, uh, and yeah. suddenly the Australians are saying there are two sides out there, and only one is playing cricket. Yeah, um, it, that was not a very good Australian accent by your standards, Tom. No, it wasn't. There are only two sides out there and only one's playing cricket. Um, <laughs> much better. Much better. Yeah. Uh, and, um, Australia has a sense of national identity post-World yeah, War One, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. Um, yeah. you know, so it's playing into all that. It's playing. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Douglas Jardine, even though he's Scottish, embodies for Australians the absolute archetype of a kind of sinister English Arrogant millord. Kind of, yeah. He's played, he's played, but it, I didn't, there was a brilliant, uh, well, it wasn't brilliant, but it was a hugely enjoyable uh, drama about it in which he was played by um, the guy who plays Elrond in... Lord of the Rings. Hugo Weaving. Hugo yes, Weaving. Hugo Weaving. Yes. Yeah, yes. he's great. And, yeah. and um, it, it's it kind of, it, it seems to Australians absolutely indicative of the the British class system, that he's very posh and the bowler that he's getting to do this incredibly violent bowling is Harold Larwood. Is, he's been rustled up from a Nottinghamshire uh, coal mine. He's D.H. Lawrence. He's D.H. Lawrence. Um, yes. And of, of course, all the blame ends up being dumped on, um, <laughs> on Harold Larwood, not on... Not on Jardine. Not on so. Jardine, yeah. So, well, yes. I mean, Jardine was unrepentant about it and, and you know, had that view that it was a legitimate tactic and he just exploited the rules of the game, the laws of the game, which, you know, had been done since time immemorial. So so Australia, it's it's two predominantly white countries playing one another. Um, in the West Indies, in India... It's it's different because there are there are additional dynamics there which are particularly focused in the West Indies around issues of slavery and yeah. race. Well, well, I mean the West Indies. Yeah, we well, sorry, we, we quickly go back to empire and say if you if you look on the map of of Test playing nations, international cricket nations, although it's a bit bigger now, you you, you might as well have drawn the British Empire on the map because it's in India. And, and it's in Australia and it's in the West Indies. And it's, uh, but the, the extraordinary thing about the West Indies is, is that it doesn't exist. It exists only as a cricket team. It's a collection of autonomous islands. And I think it exists in two forms. It exists as a university. There's a University of West Indies and there's a West Indies cricket team. Um, yeah. But those are the only two places in which it does exist. And yet it comes to represent something enormous to that region to those people and to the diaspora as it spreads out and and as um you know the windrush generation come to england and make lives here it assumes huge significance in their I mean, lives and not just as a game of cricket 
And when did the West Indies start playing Test cricket? Well, they come into it in you know when when most of these others start coming along. England and Australia play away together for twenty or thirty years, and then you get the West Indies coming along. Right. And they, so you're talking about the 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 early part of the last century, and then by the 1950s, you've also got. Uh, Pakistan and you've got India and then Sri Lanka join even later than that. And so over the course of the century, all of these places come and join and start playing cricket. Do you think, I mean, do you think that that, that it's it's quite a kind of complicated dynamic, isn't it? Because it's not just, um, so for the the, the, the British associate cricket with their own civilization, it's a marker of their, you know, their, their values, their, their kind of, everything that they see the British Empire at its best as embodied. Teamwork, sportsmanship, all yeah. those things. And so therefore, for, say, um, you know, the settle- the, 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 the planters in, in the Caribbean or for uh, Maharajas in India, it, it's a way of um, basically kind of sucking up to the British. It's, it's a way of kind of aligning themselves with the values of the, the colonial power. But then that enables the roots to be put down. But then it gets taken up by people by the kind of the masses and becomes an, a, a way of kind of fighting back against British claims to supremacy. And the West Indies is the most kind of dramatic illustration of that because, you know, the, the, the roots of cricket in the Caribbean do go back to a time where you have, you know, where, where, where the, the slave period and where, you know, slaves are being employed to to to, to clear the, the sugar cane to make cricket grounds. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and that kind of class thing that you get in England, where it's the batsmen who are the aristocrats and it's the bowlers who are the the, the kind of the peasantry. In the Caribbean, it's even more kind of dramatic, and that that you know, slaves are being employed basically to bowl at the uh, at the masters, which is why increasingly you know they bowl faster and faster and faster to try and make the masters hot and so that's kind of you know the tradition of fast bowling in the west indies that you still get but of course to stand at the wicket and to smack around white bowlers for a black batsman again i mean it's an incredible it's yeah it, amazingly symbolic isn't it you know that's the thing. i mean the, you, this and also for uh can i quote the, you a line from the whalers yeah slave driver the table is turn catch a fire <laughs> yeah yeah but isn't there that, that famous moment but, in the 1970s when the england captain what is his name tony, tony greg tony, tony, tony greg, greg he says he wants to make the west indies grovel and there's this huge furore isn't there because that scene is basically he's even a south african sort of, although yeah. he's captain of england he's south african a rhetorical of kind of a rhetorical kind of reassertion of the old master slave dynamic just i yeah. mean that's maybe a bit harsh on tony greg but well, that, that's exactly yeah. how it's interpreted well look he, not, uh, that's one of the hugely significant times in West Indies cricket. The first is probably, you, you say, in 1950 was when they first beat England in a test match. And the first time that all of the other test-playing nations beat England in a test match it takes on an extraordinary significance for them. Um, that plays out through the history of the game. But then, yeah, come the 1970s, and that, that tour that you're talking about happened in 1976, the summer of 1976 in England, which is, you know, as you all know, Dominic, it was, a, a t- you know, it was the time of punk rock. It was the time yeah. of garbage in the streets and, you know, all of this stuff's going the on. James Callaghan is. Yeah, yeah, Glad exactly. we got him in. Yeah, a backdrop to all Jesus of Jesus and James Callaghan. And and here come this cricket team. And this was the first time I ever went to a test match as a little kid. Here comes here come this West Indies cricket team. And they are like gods. I mean, they are like gods among men. They bowl faster. They hit the ball further. They're incredibly athletic in the field. They're playing a new kind of cricket that no one's seen before. I mean, it, is, it, it begins a revolution in the game. Um, and they they they're sort of summed up by their their the man who becomes their leading batsman, Viv Richards, who's this incredibly yeah his nickname was Smoking Joe because he he looked he looked a bit like Joe Frazier and you know, he had that kind of boxer's physique, incredible Roman nose, and he carried himself with yeah, such he's my yeah, absolute hero you know yeah and 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 mine and I, and I think yeah the amazing thing that that team did certainly for me and for a lot of people is it, it just made it impossible to 
to think of 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 West Indies and West Indies as anything other than Brilliant. superior beings, <laughs> yeah. because they yeah. were just they were the, yeah. you know like a, the England team at that time were led by Tony Gregg, who was a as I say South African, but was a six foot seven sort of beanpole guy who ran in a strange way and batted in a strange way. Uh, they had David Steele in the team, who was a, a grey haired in his thirties, wore glasses, <laughs> kind of John Major, he, didn't he? He, yeah, he was known as the bank clerk who went to war. They had they had Derek Underwood as a, as a spin bowler who he sort of looked like an Oxford Don. You know, he's prematurely <laughs> bowled, his feet splayed out when he ran, and you're comparing them to these <laughs> these guys who are like they must have yeah. looked at the England team and thought, what what is this? Yeah. <laughs> but then, if we're talking about emblematic figures, right? I mean, if you fast forward just a little bit. You have one of what somebody who I would see as one of the absolutely most sort of richly emblematic figures of British life in my lifetime, a British kind of political and cultural life. And that is Lord Botham of Brexit. So <laughs> Ian Botham, working yeah. class conservative, mm. Thatcherite. Um, and then later on, a hugely outspoken Eurosceptic and a sort and of was going to be James Bond, wasn't he, Dominic? He was going to be James Bond <laughs> and a personification. Right, of a kind of Georgian Englishness that I think has reasserted itself in the last few decades. Also, let us say, in, in fairness to Lord Botham of Brexit, Viv Richard's best friend. Yeah, exactly. Which and, is and, really interesting. Yeah, and, and, and early teammate, they, they famously shared a flat together. So a sort of populist hero, basically. A populist hero who comes along and, and never defeats the West Indies in fairness. He, yeah, West Indies are too good even for, even for both. Well, he always fails but, against them. But I mean, yeah, the he, one team yeah, he can never, he can never do anything yeah. against. But he does slay Australia and he does reassert English dominance in the ashes, which makes him into this folk hero. Yeah. So John, I, I mean, I think, I think it's gr- the, the kind of, um, the, the friendship between Botham and Richards, England's greatest, West Indies greatest batsman is a reminder that, that cricket can, you know, it's not just about kind of, um, racial oppression. No, and I mean, it's you know, about that, friendship. That, However, that, I mean, it is in, in, against the backdrop of kind of recent scandals involving racism in uh, accusations of racism at, at Yorkshire in particular um, with South Asian players. Uh, we sh- I think we should look at the role that cricket plays in, because we're running out of time, we should look at the, 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 the role that cricket has played in, in India, in Pakistan, um, and perhaps the role that it, 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 it plays within racial dynamics in England now. Because basically cricket now is fundamentally an Indian sport rather than an English one. Would you say that's an exaggeration? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, India is the the heart of the game now. It's the financial centre of the game. Cultural centre. But it's also also where the soul of the game is because the population is so obsessed with cricket in a way that we're not in England and increasingly they're not in the West Indies anymore. Uh, The Australians are, but obviously they're a much smaller population. Um, so no, India is is the, is where the soul of the game is now. And there was a question I, I can't actually see it on the list we've got, but there was somebody asked a question. Do you think that um, India against Pakistan in cricket is the biggest sporting fixture in the world? I do. Well, it, it, uh, one thing I would mention really quickly before that, I know we haven't got loads of time, but it was a game again that I was at as a as a young a young lad, and it was the nineteen eighty three World Cup final. Which they've um, just made a film about. We, we, they have just made a film about, which was India versus the West Indies. And uh, this was the moment at which, if you, if you were saying there was a moment at which India began to emerge as the centre of the game that we're talking about, it was at this game when, as, as, as massive underdogs, they, they defeated um, West Indies, who had been, uh, at that point, twice champions. Um, and uh, there was a tremendously symbolic moment when Kapil Dev, the, the Indian captain, caught out Viv Richards from a high steepling catch. And, you know, the whole of Lords holding its breath as this ball falls to earth. And Kapil holds the catch and dismisses the great Richards. And this is the moment at which India comes a out. new of this, India is born. Well, well before then, there, there's no doubt and there is no doubt. And I, I don't know how to say this. In, in the right way, really. There, there was a kind of cultural cringe in India, a kind of feeling amongst Indians that they were somehow, you know, um, beneath still the, the, the hand of empire. And this was a moment, I think, when actually that began to lift and they got it, you know, uh, underneath Kapil, they all stood up, their chests puffed out, and they began to think, hang on, you know, we're a serious mm-hmm. cricket team here. We're a serious force. And that's the moment. That's the moment it happens. And it starts to build and build. And, 
you know, obviously India-Pakistan is always going to be a ferocious rivalry. Um, the re, uh, Pakistan come along in 1992 and win the World Cup. And that becomes a moment for them under Imran Khan. Who is now, uh, Imran Khan, who is now the president of Pakistan, was the captain of the Pakistan cricket team. So you can probably see how important the link is between cricket and, and the rest of society in Pakistan. But the India-Pakistan relationship is always played out under India's power. So India, for example, now has the most famous cricket league in the world, which is called the Indian Premier League. And it doesn't allow Pakistani players in it. That's the one nation they don't allow. But but that's why when, when India meet Pakistan in international cricket contests, that's why it's so huge, that, isn't it? And why in the recent World Cup, when Pakistan beat India, and actually crushed India, <laughs> it was such a, you know, they, they, there was glee around the world because everyone likes to see the, you know, the bully get a black eye. And that was what Pakistan inflicted. But yeah, I mean, there are, there are you know, we could have another three hours on why Pakistan and India is such a contest. But yes, it is. Well, maybe we should save that for later then. We definitely should. Um, yeah. Uh, John, I mean, one one final question. Um, I mean, we've been talking about kind of international cricket, professional cricket, uh, the great stars of cricket. But I mean, you know, cricket continues to be played uh, by amateurs as well. Um, <laughs> oh, no, for God's sake. <laughs> it does. And I it wonder, um, is I there, you know, is there, is there indeed, a, Tom, maybe, uh, is there maybe, a, you know, a particular innings perhaps even a particular shot a moment uh, played well, by an amateur player please that, john that, answer that this a, answer this that has a think kind of historic very resonance. carefully about the answer that the listeners will want to hear a, a, a mythological is, resonance you see this has so come to infect my mind so often has it been repeated i mean i would say that yeah amateur cricket let's first of all a really quick analogy if you imagine an iceberg that's sort of 10 percent above the surface of the water the 10 percent that's the professional game the 90 percent under the water is 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 guys like us who like to play guys and girls like uh, who, who like to play at the weekend and play amateur cricket very badly in the context of playing amateur cricket incredibly badly you can <laughs> still have triumph and disaster can you think of and, one, and, one maybe that's been photographed and really this is a tale of the social media age i think in that tom's one great moment as a, as a well one moment i think one. great moment is probably a bit much isn't it <laughs> Dominic, you don't know okay, about cricket. But, 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 you know, you talk about symbolic resonance, Dominic. We're talking about the playing fields of Eton. I mean, where else? Yeah. If you were going to strike the one shot of your life, So we should explain, you... shouldn't we, to listeners, that this is, I hit a six, and a six is where you hit the ball so hard, so well. So luckily. That it yeah. goes over the kind of boundary rope, which, which, contains, the, which contains the cricket pitch. I was thinking about it's, when I was toying with how to introduce this podcast and I went with my Sir Henry Newbolt poem. <laughs> yes. The alternative, which I had tracked down this morning, was one of the Greyfriars school stories in which by a stroke <laughs> of extraordinary chance, Billy Bunter, the fat owl of the remove, hits a six. And I yeah. thought I won't read that out. Because that's a bit mean to Tom to compare him to Billy Bunter. No, not at all. But now I wish I had. No, not at all. Because the point is, it's not just that I hit it, but that it was photographed. Um, And listeners who want to know this, I will make sure to include it on my Twitter feed. The narcissism Uh, of the Instagram age. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. I mean, uh, yeah. It's me playing the game, playing up, playing up and playing the game. Uh, As you have done, John, can't thank you enough. Um, I think it is time to... On that bombshell. Draw stumps. Draw stumps. <laughs> Take the bales. <laughs> yeah. Retire to the pub. <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, in, enjoy the ashes if you like cricket. Uh, I hope that some of this has made sense if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.